When the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. One of the religious scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, which commandment in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first of any list, but there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commandments are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. As the Pharisees were regrouping, Jesus caught them off balance with his own test question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said, David's son. Jesus replied, Well, if the Christ is David's son, how do you explain that David, under inspiration, named Christ his master? God said to my master, Sit here at, at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, if God calls his, him master, how can he at the same time be his son? That stumped them, literalists that they were, unwilling to risk losing face again in one of these public verbal exchanges. They quit asking questions for good. Good morning, church. Hope everybody's doing well today. For those that are watching online, go and grab a little bit of bread or water or juice. We're going to try to celebrate communion with you as uh, we do it here. You, you're going to see every table has bread, it has juice, and every table is going to be able to celebrate with each other. We, we all, I'm going to try to guide us from here. And if you're by yourself, um, we also, you also have the big piece of bread and juice, or you have, if you need or want, the little cup, we can give that to you, uh, the one that we use today at traditional service. And if you are gluten-free, we also have that option for you. We have everything, everything you want to ask, uh, which is, I wish we had ham and cheese for the leftover bread, because um, thank you, Scott, for... Oh, here, here, sorry. So, today we're going to start with a new sermon series. And it is really my desire that you are able to grasp the idea for what I have chosen, roots. Jesus' teachings were radical teachings. He showed radical hospitality. He showed radical love. And if you don't know, the word radical, like the word radish, the vegetable, comes from the word root. Now, we tend to think that uh, radical is the one who wanders over the weeds, but actually radical, because it, it comes from the word root, radical is the one who goes back to the source of the tradition. Radical is not the one who just goes away and, and spreads out. Radical is the one who goes back to the source and help us 
to be guided again. And that's exactly what Jesus did with his followers. Over and over again, what Jesus was doing was bringing them back to the original teachings of God, of Moses. Constantly challenging them with questions. So, and, and part of those roots, as Methodists, we're one of the traditions that has four different pillars that help us to discern what God's will is. And that is scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Are you familiar with this? Wesleyan quadrilateral, we, we name it within the Methodist Church. These are four different things that either we do it thinking about it or it's our um, subconscious. It's the way that we discern God's will for our lives. You with me? Okay. I have one screen, two screens. I have everything for you. <laughs> so you can follow me. So today we're going to focus on scripture. Next week we will talk about tradition, then experience, and then reason. My goal for us is that we can go to the source of each one of those so we can then start moving towards one direction. So this is what we're going to work on today, scripture. Now, talking about scripture, there is something that I need to clarify. So, according to what I plan during the week, you should be able to see those screens too. Are you able to see the screens? Can everybody see them? Okay. Something that comes to our mind when we think about scripture is the phrase, Word of God. If they, you have heard, open the Word of God. Or, I have the Word of God with me. But for the purpose of today's teaching, I would like to talk with you to go over what Scripture says about what the Word of God is. And for that, if you have a Bible with you, you can use it. Um, if not, you can um, just see the summary there. But you can go to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And it's a long verse, but this is the summary of it. This is the beginning, and this is the end of the verse. And it says, The Word was first, the Word was present to God, God present to the Word. The Word was God in readiness for God from day one. The Word became flesh and the blood and moved to our neighborhood. Now, you are probably familiar with that. Ooh, my, my screen here got stuck. You're probably familiar with that Bible verse. So that's the message translation. 
Well, let me, let me read to you probably a more traditional translation from the NRSV. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. This is what the Bible says about the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. Who is that? Jesus. So when then, when we think about, when Scripture talks about the Word of God, is talking about Jesus. But then, if Jesus is the Word of God, what's with the Bible? I promise you, all this will make sense at the end. If it doesn't, you can always contact me and we can sit for coffee and I can try to clarify. Uh, but if you go to John Chapter 5, verses 39 to 40. This is what it says. Jesus is talking to people, saying, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witnesses about me. Witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Then, I don't have it there, but Second Peter says this. We must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of men, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So if Jesus is the Word of God, what Scripture is telling us that Scripture is, is that they are witness of who Jesus is. Scripture is Jesus' witness. It's, it's from there. It's, has, scripture has that divine authority where we learn about what the Word of God was saying to us. It has that divine authority where we learn how God has dealt with people from the beginning. So now that we got that out of the way, are you still with me? Yeah. Let's pretend you say yes, but I could not hear you through the mask. The passage that, that we heard today it's a passage where we have a group of Pharisees that saw that Jesus was already um, beating on an argument to the Sadducees. So the Pharisees decided, like, okay, we're going to try to make him trip. We're going to place on him a question that for centuries, none of our teachers were able to figure it out. And they asked him that question, which one is the greatest commandment? Why is that question tricky? It's because in Scripture, we find 613 commandments. That's a lot. 248 of them 
were positive commandments, and 365 were negative commandments, prohibitions, things that you should not do. So you have 613 commandments. Teachers through the history of Israel have been arguing about which one is the most important. But Jesus was like Muhammad Ali. You know, like fly like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Right away he said, well, what scripture says. Love the love your, Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That was a bomb that Jesus just dropped on them. Because the law was divided between, you know, the relationship with God and the relationship with other people. So what Jesus did with this answer, they were not shocked because he was right. What they were shocked is because Jesus was unifying God's law. Jesus unified the love for God and the love for the neighbor as if they cannot exist without being lived with each other. You cannot love God if you don't love your neighbor, and you cannot love your neighbor if you don't love God. And this is the other thing. This law wasn't new to them. Every devout Jewish person is familiar with a prayer called the Shema, which is something that a prayer that they were saying in the mornings, in the afternoon, and in the evenings. And this prayer goes like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk, when you lay down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontiers between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. This was the Shema. This was a traditional Jewish prayer that was affirming what Jesus told them. You have known all along what the greatest commandment is. Because you have been saying it nonstop, every morning, every afternoon, and every evening. Jesus showed to them that love is the key. The key of the greatest commandment towards God is love. The key of the greatest commandment towards your neighbor was love. Extremely basic for us, right? But leaving both of them was hard. Jesus was, he, he summarized 613 laws into one that is connected. Love God, love your neighbor. With all your heart, soul, and mind. Both of them. You're going to love God with all the faculties of what makes you a human being. And in the same way you're supposed to love your neighbor. Jesus knew 
Matthew knew, and Matthew knew, Matthew wanted us to know as well that Jesus' arrest, that Jesus' trial, that Jesus' crucifixion are precisely the way in which Jesus showed the love for God and the love for the neighbor. Showing us through that one act that you can love God and love your neighbor and those two go together. Loving God, following God's desire for him to walk that path to help humanity to connect with God, to create redemption for us. The love for the neighbor because nobody was able to walk that walk except Jesus. Through that act, Jesus showed that commandment. Are you with me? Just no. You're with me. Let me share a story with you. And, yeah, you, Herman and Scott, if you can help me, we can, we can take this now. But something before they go down that you need to remember is that the key that Jesus was showing was love. Thank you, guys. So, try to navigate with me through this story. Try to create in your mind, uh, try to Im imagine what was going on. It has been said that a long time ago, a young woman, beautiful woman, young woman called Sophia lived in a town. And that this girl, Sophia, had a vision where God spoke to her like it was her close friend. And in this vision, God told her, Sophia, I want you to be a translator of my word. Now, Sophia was the daughter of a farmer. She didn't have a lot of money. And to be able to translate the word, a word will require a lot of money. You need, the printing presses were just invented. The only copies of scripture were in Latin, locked under key in the churches. So she will need to gather money, to um, put money together to buy printing presses, rent buildings, and pay translators to get it done, and then be able to distribute it. But she was not afraid. Even though this task seemed to be impossible, Sophia said yes to the task of translating the word and she sold everything she had and decided to live on the streets. In the street, she was asking people for money, sharing with them about the vision that she had. And she was also taking over any job that she was able to take in order to keep raising that money. Now, this was not an easy task. There, was many, there were some people that gave money, but most of the people gave little to, or nothing towards the cost. But... After 15 years, Sophia was almost close to raise that money that she needed to get the job done. After those 15 years, uh, floating hit it, the um, town that was next to her, her town. And a lot of people lost their houses, their property, and they were struggling. Without even thinking about it, Sophia heard about this. She went to that town and used the money that she had gathered for 15 years 
to build houses for those that lost it, to buy food for those that were hungry, and to be able to get the city on their feet again. When the city was recovering, Sophia decided to go back to her own city and go back to a task that she did not forget, that God called her to a task to translate the word. Now, people have heard about Sophia, and this time people were giving more money because they believed in her. So after nine years, she was so close to put it together that a huge plague hit it, hit her city. So a lot of people died and a lot of children ended up as orphans. Once again, Sophia decided to put this sacred task that God gave her in order to help the city. She gave money to feed those uh, that cannot work. She built, it, built houses for those children that lost their parents, and she bought land to bury those that died. Not even once, Sophia, forgetting about this task that God gave her. When everything, when the city was being recovered little by little, Sophia went back to raise money for the task. By this time, she was ill. She was old. She was being affected for everything that she went through, but didn't stop. But happily, she was able to finally raise the money that she needed. And before she died, she was able to see the first Bibles that were printed and distributed in her country. Now, when people tell the story about Sophia, they talk about this person who translated the word for the country. But a person who translated the word not one, but three times during her lifetime. The first two being way more powerful and life-giving than the third one. She translated the word by being the word. And that's what we are called to be. When we think about the roots of Scripture, it's love. How do we implement that is by being the word. Jesus was the word of God incarnated. Seeing that example that God's word cannot be heard without being heeded, it cannot be received without being incarnated, and it's only in being incarnated that one can say that it has been received. When we hear the words, love thy neighbor, we cannot think about this as sacred words, because they're just that, words. This phrase only takes power and meaning once we leave it, once we get our hands dirty for our neighbor. The idea of loving one's neighbor is the word of God. Not when it's merely affirmed, but when it's lived. Therefore, it is impossible to affirm God's word apart from becoming that word, apart from being the place where that word becomes a living and breathing Act. We need to become that word. What scripture talks is what we should become. The word is discovered not in speech, but in acts. The word is formed only when it's performed. It exists in the world only when it's lived out by a subject who dwells fully in the world. The reason why God became flesh 
is to show us that God loves us and God wants to be in touch with us. Us as human beings were so focused in creation that we were looking this way and God was up here. By becoming flesh, he became one of us. So we were able to see God face to face. And God showed us love by sacrificing God's self for us. The root of Scripture is love because they are bearing witnesses. They are witnesses of God. They are witnesses of who Jesus is. And their God is love. So what we are called today is to go and be that word. And I think that it's not a better segue to communion than remembering that. That God is love. That God died for us. And that even though his closest friend rejected him, he still loved them. We all remember that night. We read it a million times. We have seen, seen a lot of movies. There are not a lot of TV shows that I like that they put a lot of emphasis on Jesus' relationship with the disciples. They were his friends, his brothers. Yet Marks tell us that when Jesus was captured, all of them ran away, and one of them ran away naked. Peter, the greatest disciple, apparently, he denied him three times. When Jesus came to them, they forgot. They, they didn't believe who he was. But Jesus knew that all this will happen. Yet, Jesus went through with it. Showing the love for God. And showing the love for us. And the night that he was going to be betrayed. He was having dinner with his friends. They were oblivious of what was happening. One of them was thinking of betraying him. Others were thinking about their own greatness. And Jesus was suffering inside for what was about to happen. Yet, he took the bread. He blessed it and said, This is my body that will be broken for you. After dinner was over, he took the cup, lifted it up and said, this is my blood. and will be used for the healing of the nations. Every time that you eat this bread, every time that you drink this cup, you will announce my dad until I come back. So brothers and sisters, let me bless the bread, the juice, the cups that you have on your tables. One of you you can take it and come break it and share it with others. And every time you give it to somebody, say, 
the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ was shed for you. Remember the love of Jesus every time you do this. Let me pray. Dear God, we give you thanks for your love. We give you thanks for your grace. And we give you thanks because after over 2,000 years, you are faithful to us enough that even with all our doubts, all our mistakes, you still give us a chance to remember you and to remind each other of your love. Please bless the juice, bless the bread, bless the cups. God, and bless those that are in their houses, that even though we are separated by physical space, we are united in one spirit. We believe in your love and we believe in your power. That we can be united with the disciples and with you and with those around the world celebrating this Holy Communion today. So brothers and sisters, I invite you to grab a piece of bread or a cup to share it with each other and say, this is the Word of God broken for you. This is the bread, body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you.